Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 2% Better Podcast. I am your host, Carrie Bennett, and I look forward to bringing you simple and impactful 2% health upgrades, small daily habits you can do to supercharge your health. We will be focusing on using sunlight, nutrition, sleep, cold, movement, fasting, and more to support your health journey. I hope this podcast inspires you with these science-backed micro-habits so that every day you can become 2% better. The content of this show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any illness or medical condition. Nothing is intended to be medical advice or to be used as advice for self-treatment. Please discuss any health-related or treatment-related decisions with your own personal medical authorities. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 2% Better Health podcast. I am your host, Carrie Bennett, and today is another solo episode, and I'm excited to talk with you about earthing, also known as grounding. So from this episode, I want you to understand what earthing is, what grounding is. Um, They're the same thing. (laughs) I want you to understand why we might want to earth or ground, what conditions it can benefit, different ways in which it can be done. And just this idea of being able to soak in electrons from the earth uh, and why we would wanna do that. And so why don't we get into it? Um, I wanna talk first about why I love this concept of earthing. Uh, For those of you who have been following my work for a little while now, I'm a big fan of number one, things that reconnect us with nature. Um, I feel like modern practices, just disconnect us from nature, right? Currently I'm inside right now, I'm inside. Um, And so that just right there has disconnected me from nature. And so is there a point of being out in nature? Uh, I harp a lot on sunlight. And so obviously I think that there's a really big lighting component as to why we need to reconnect with nature. But I also think there is a huge grounding component as to why we need to reconnect with nature. And so uh, what does that even mean? What is grounding? Oh gosh, well, you know, grounding just as a very basic, basic way of looking at it is being barefoot on the surface of the earth. So that means barefoot on the grass, barefoot on sand, barefoot in a stream, barefoot even on concrete. Concrete actually is, you can ground on concrete too. And so why would we wanna do this and what benefit does this serve us? being uh, the earth's surface is full of electrons. So remember, electrons have this negative charge Um, and the human body wants to be negatively charged. Uh, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of this concept of saying the words positive and negative because I think it gets a weird connotations like, wait, I want to be negative. I thought I want to be positive. You know what? We're not talking about your mood. We're not talking about your personality. We're talking about a biophysically, you know, when we're looking at the atomic makeup of the body, we want you, the body to be more negatively charged. And so if we can have enough negative charge, then our cells can have a negative charge. And that negative charge is synonymous with just be, um, having healthy functioning in our cells, in the water network of our body throughout the body. So if we can just kind of hold that to be true, the human body wants to be negatively charged, then it would make sense for me to say, okay, well, things that I can then do 
to build this negative charge would be things that would be supportive of my health. And that is true, right? So what are things that we can do to build negative charge? Well, one of the main things that we can do to build negative charge is grounding, is earthing, is touching your bare feet to the earth. How is it that we act, how is it that this doesn't things kind of weird, right? Sounds kind of like woo woo, new agey mumbo jumbo. And uh, I am really grateful for the work that was, has been done by Clint Ober. And um, also Dr. James Oshman is another individual who I've gotten a lot of um, information about earthing and its benefits and how we do it and why we do it. Uh, and they uh, run the earthinginstitute.net tons of research published there if you're interested in taking a deeper dive into this topic lots of really great podcasts too uh also clint ober wrote earthing and and james oshman was a contributor to that uh, the book called earthing there's an earthing documentary there's a lot a lot of research and work out there uh behind this topic of earthing and so Basically what it means is you stand barefoot on the planet. And when you stand barefoot, you soak electrons up through your feet into your body instantaneously. Um, that being said, there is a certain guidance in terms of the amount of time you wanna spend earthing potentially, but we'll go into that in a little bit of detail later. How does the human body soak up earth, soak up electrons? Well, electrons want to move from where there's a higher concentration. And so if my body needs electrons, I will soak electrons up from the earth and the earth and the earth can sense that because the earth is like this baseline amount of electrons. And if I am lacking in electrons, electrons will flow from the earth where there's more of them into my body where there's less. So um, how, how and where? Uh, in Oh, uh, having studied massage therapy, you know, been a massage therapist, gone to massage therapy school, there was a key point on the bottom of the foot that we would hold. It was called kidney one. And um, let me see if I can put my bare foot up here. For those of you watching on YouTube, I'm going to lift my foot up. Don't mind me. Right. But you got this point right here where the ball of my foot meets my arch right in this little groove right here is called kidney one. And what kidney one uh, is done is kidney one helps to move energy. It, it's a point that we would hold if we wanted to help chi or energy flow through the body. And so it can be held uh, you know, as an acupressure point to actually move energy throughout the body, but it's also considered a source of where we can pull electrons from the earth and into our body. And so that's, if you're looking at a specific acupuncture point, that's like the ideal acupuncture point right there to have touching the ground, simply because it can help distribute energy through the kidney meridian all over the body. And then the kidney meridian is tied to the water network of the body. And for those of you who have been reading my stuff on Instagram and listening to some of these podcasts, I am huge, hugely interested in that water network of our body. And so here's where that all ties together, right? So kidney one, yes, that's a really interesting concept. And it's a really great place where we can touch the earth. If we were just at one point that touches the earth at all times, I would say it's kidney one. But all of our bare feet, and frankly, all of our skin, our whole entire body can suck up earth's electrons. Um, this goes back to the work of a Nobel laureate named Albert St. Georgie, uh, I don't, gosh, I don't even know when he said this, but he was famous for discovering the synthesis, the synthesis of vitamin C. But in his later work, uh, after winning the Nobel Prize and towards the end of his career, he was so enamored with 
electron flow in the body and how we need our, our proteins and our body to be hydrated, to have this beautiful electron flow. And so what, what came to be from his work and then the work of you know, researchers that followed was the concept of the proteins in our body are a channel through which electrons can flow. They're called something called semiconductors. They can conduct electrons and they need to be hydrated. So they need to be surrounded by that exclusion zone water shell, this shell of hydration uh, to be the best semiconductor that they can be. And there's one particular network of our body that touches, that's full of protein, that touches every other network, touches every cell, is 100% entirely connected. And that is called our fascia. And when fat, so fascia is like, you know, uh, picture, this might be gross, so I really apologize, but fascia is what, it's connective tissue, right? So if ever you've cut in a chicken breast and there's like this thin film that comes, if you're trying to separate the chicken breast, that thin, like sheer translucent uh, tissue, that's fascia. That's one form of fascia. And so the fascia is like this band of connective tissue that literally wraps around every single component of my body. And then uh, for, for a while there. So that fascia connects everything. Literally, it connects everything to everything. And that fascia penetrates around the cells as something called my extracellular matrix. It goes into my cells uh, through a, a transmembrane protein, a protein that penetrates the cell membrane called integrins. And then inside of the cell, it becomes something called the cytoskeleton. So a bunch of like crisscrossing bands of what was originally just thought to be a support network, but now we know it's so much more. So hence the name skeleton, cyto just means cell. So like the cellular skeleton, but it's actually so much more than that. Um, and then into the nucleus, there's these transmembrane proteins also that uh, allow this, this connective tissue to penetrate into the nucleus of the cell where it becomes something that's called the nuclear matrix. Uh, and literally it touches every piece of DNA. So everything is connected with this mesh web of connective tissue, every cell inside and out, all of it's connected and it's all surrounded by water. So this is a protein uh, you know, it can be called fascia, it can be called collagen, it can be called your connective tissue. It's all the same thing. But this protein loves to be hydrated in water or covered in this hydration shell of water, which we now know because it's a hydrophilic surface. It's this form of water called exclusion zone water. And we now know that this exclusion zone water plus this connective tissue network in tied together becomes this beautiful conduit through which electrons can flow everywhere. And so why would we want electrons to flow everywhere? Like, what's the point of that? It's um, becoming more and more apparent that these electrons can be, it can act as antioxidants in the body. So what's an antioxidant? Well, an antioxidant is something that can be produced by our body that calms inflammation. So I guess we need to start with what's inflammation, like what causes inflammation? As a natural byproduct of metabolism, my cells, mainly my mitochondria that live in my cells, they make something called reactive oxygen species. And that's okay. We actually want a certain amount of reactive oxygen species. However, reactive oxygen species, those are oxidants. 
So reactive oxygen, they're oxidants, they oxidize. Anything that oxidizes, I want you to think of it as almost like creating this internal rusting that's happening inside of the cells. And a certain amount of rusting we can repair. But what happens over time with excessive rust, you just get excessive damage. If we're speaking about it from a more of a biochemistry standpoint, there's two different reactions that are going back and forth. We have, uh, and we want this to be in balance. One of them is called oxidation and one of them is called reduction. It's kind of weird when I'm, I'm going to explain to it, but I want you to get this because oxidation, the word oxidation in chemistry and biochemistry, it means losing an electron, loss of an electron. So in oxidation, you lose an electron. In reduction, you put an electron back on. And so you make things, you make this situation happy. And these free radicals are basically a bunch of oxidants. They've lost an electron and they're looking for another electron to make them happy again. And if they, they, they don't care what, where they find that electron. So these oxidants, if these, these, these free radical oxidants, if they encounter something that will help stabilize them again, a cell membrane, another protein, um, other molecules inside of the cell. They don't care what, they wanna become stable. Now we have our own, our cells make our own antioxidant system simply to try to calm this oxidation process so that tissue damage doesn't occur. So in an ideal cell, we're making energy, the process of making energy, that ATP energy is in quotes because I argue that, but I'm not gonna go into detail here. So that ATP, is made in the mitochondria, water is made in the mitochondria. And as an electron bounces along the electron transport chain into the process of making water and ATP, occasionally reactive oxygen species are made. Cool though, because our own built-in antioxidant system will kick on. And so we've got enzymes, you know, superoxide dismutase, catalase. These are just enzymes that will then take these lost electrons, these reactive oxygen species, capture them and make them calm again. So they're not gonna create damage. However, lots of things can damage this mitochondrial pathway of energy production, or we could be exposing ourselves to things that will cause our immune system to create more oxidation, more reactive oxygen species inside of us, more inflammation. And so then we get this vicious cycle. We get a really big production of, anti or of oxidizing agents. So that would be um, these uh, reactive oxygen species. And we don't have our mitochondria able to calm them with their own natural antioxidant production. And so then this oxidized free radical will will interact with things and create damage so it like will bump into the mitochondrial membrane and it'll create damage it'll get outside of the cell it'll be outside of the or it'll be outside of the mitochondria it'll be inside the cytosol of the cell the inside of the cell interior and it'll bump into a the cell membrane of the cell and it'll create damage it'll create this this um, destruction that i want you think to think of as synonymous with like rusting or just damage and then these damaged, uh, these damaged cell membranes need more repair and then it depletes our antioxidant system even more. And so we get into this vicious cycle of creating bigger and bigger amounts of tissue damage from this free radical production that we, our cells, our mitochondria can't keep up with, with our own endogenous or self-produced supply of antioxidants. Okay, great. So then we hear, right, oh, well, we should consume antioxidants, right? We have to consume foods rich in antioxidants. 
that might be true, right? There is something probably to be said about consuming foods that have some antioxidant capacity. But I actually think that falls lower on the list as this as another thing that we can use as an antioxidant that I'm going to go into. One thing I want to highlight before that is if you know that there was a study that was done and I did highlight this on an Instagram post, right? But there was a study that was done that gave smokers who we know smokers produce a larger amount of free radicals, these reactive oxygen species, these things that are oxidizing that need antioxidants. So smokers make more oxidizing agents. These, this, these free radicals will create more damage. This damage needs to be quenched. It needs to be calmed with antioxidants or else it's a vicious cycle. And so this, this study gave these smokers, looked at these smokers and said, okay, smokers create more oxidizing agents. These more of these free radicals. Um, these free radicals need to be calmed. So let's supplement smokers with a lot of beta carotene, or, you know, you can also look at it as like a vitamin E, vitamin C. There's certain nutrients that we know help with this antioxidant process. So they supplemented them with a lot of, of a lot of these antioxidants with the assumption that the group of this group that was divided of the smokers divided up one group received a lot of antioxidants in supplemental form. The other group didn't. And following them through the course of this study, the researchers were like, pause, time out, wait a second, we got to stop this study. And it's not because we want to give the group of smokers that wasn't receiving the antioxidants, we want to give them those antioxidants. No, they stopped the study because they recognized that the group of smokers that was receiving antioxidants actually had higher rates of death. Not what they expected. So there's something to be said that it's like, wait a second. Okay, I thought that calming the inflammation, calming the damage, calming the, the reactive oxygen species was a good thing. Well, it is, right? We want everything to be in balance, but maybe supplementing with high doses of, of um, antioxidants is not the best way to go about it. So is there a better way for us to calm free radical production or balance it, right? It's about balance. We don't want to get rid of it completely. We want it to be in balance. And I'm the, I was uh, reading a lot of research showing that grounding or earthing can actually act as an antioxidant because if we've got electrons want to exist in pairs, when electrons are paired up, they're happy. When they're by themselves, that's when they can start to create damage. So let's say we're in a process where we're, our body is inflamed. What would be an example of our body being inflamed? Well, um, arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis or any sort of uh, degenerative condition where we get tissue damaged. Also, inflammation um, can happen in the gut as a precursor to so many other different conditions. So basically any, any diagnosed Western disease has a form of inflammation in it. And that inflammation is, you, I want you to think of it as, it's a bunch of unchecked electrons, unpaired electrons that are just running around wreaking havoc uh, and unable to calm down because the inflammation can't be calmed. Well, if I've got a bunch of these unpaired electrons running around and they're wreaking havoc in my body and they're contributing to damage in my body, I must do something to calm that down. And if earthing sucks electrons into my body through my whole entire connective tissue network that we know penetrates every single cell and goes everywhere, 
then it makes sense. And that if I'm sucking in these free electrons, that these electrons then will go and they'll pair up with any areas of my body that, that have these uh, reactive oxygen species roaming around and will help to actually calm the inflammation, calm the inflammatory process. And the coolest part about that is that there isn't a downside to it. You can't overdo grounding or earthing. The body soaks up and distributes the electrons as it's needed and where it needs to go. And then once you reach this uh, equilibrium point or this homeostasis, your body's not going to like all of a sudden create oxidants or, or uh, you know, free radicals from Earth's electrons. So it's like, in my opinion, the ultimate antioxidant, the ultimate antioxidant. Um, think about nature. Think about how we... Um, you know, the general human population lived a thousand years ago. Uh, we were in continuous contact with the earth, either with bare feet or through animal skinned shoes, uh, boots, sandals, those sorts of things that also were able to conduct earth's electrons. So we can conduct through those sorts of tissues or through those sorts of materials. Uh, and it wasn't, and it, it, you know, we, it wasn't until we started really drifting and changing our living environment that I, that we started to see big time issues in terms of health. So what changed in our living environment? Well, we disconnected ourselves clearly from earth's electrons. We disconnected ourselves from the sun and we, uh, definitely disconnected ourselves as well from natural sources of nourishment. And so this disconnection is in my opinion, the driver of inflammation and that therefore that's gonna drive disease. So we wanna then reconnect our feet to the surface of the earth whenever we can. The level of inflammation in our body is pretty much gonna be what determines the amount of time that's needed outside in order to feel an effect or to see an effect. And I have actually liked looking at a lot of these studies at uh, earthinginstitute.net because they do some infrared studies of the body. And I don't know if you've ever looked at an infrared image before or a thermal image before, but it, you, they use a camera that captures, the, captures heat in the body and where there's more heat is more inflammation. So for example, they'll take a picture of the knees of an arthritic individual and those knees will just be lit up with this bright red, even like a bright pink white color, very vibrant. And the brighter the red, the pink and the white, it means the more inflammation there is in that area. And then, so they'll take a picture of these, this individual, these individuals knees before earthing and after earthing. And you'll see a very dramatic calming of the amount of heat and inflammation that's there in those knees. So, so it's really cool to see that sort of thing. So then how much time does that take? On average, if it's something like calming joint inflammation, a lot of these studies are doing anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes of, of earthing and to see what happens before and after. If we're dealing with a more complex chronic condition like multiple sclerosis, those reports are trying to get individuals earthed and grounded 16 hours a day. Uh, or more even for an extended period of time, at which point, you know, there you reach the, the body reaches this, this threshold of, wow, I've got enough of these 
antioxidant electrons running through me so that I can calm all this inflammation that's happening everywhere and actually start to feel a sustainable benefit from it. So the rule of thumb for looking at these studies seems to be the more inflamed you are, the more time needs to be spent connected to the earth. Uh, similar with um, a con condition called fibromyalgia, um, where there's like a generalized pain and fatigue throughout the whole entire body. Autoimmune condition, same thing. It appears as though the more inflamed one is, the more one needs to be connected to the earth. So um, how does that translate, right? What does that look like? Uh, before I go into that, so I will give some suggestions because I've been practicing earthing and grounding a ton using both, you know, just my feet on the bare earth, but also some of these earthing, this earthing pad technology, earthing shoes, that sort of a thing. So I do want to share that with you, but I want to talk about the number of conditions that I've seen being impacted in a beneficial way from earthing from things as simple as um, it really improving the quality of one's sleep to uh, impact for conditions that I never thought would, would benefit from earthing like tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears. So the Earthing Institute also literally lists, I think it's like a hundred different con conditions that have been shown to be anecdotally, you know, case study benefited from uh, it, uh, changing the amount of time that one is in contact with the earth with bare feet. One that I'd like think is really is really beneficial to the general population that I'd like to talk about is the impact of earthing on blood flow, and the impact of earthing. Then, uh, if it impacts blood flow, it has the potential to impact blood pressure. Blood pressure, and so I do have a lot of clients who have been kind of worked playing around with natural ways in which they can improve uh, blood flow, blood pressure. Also, I found it very fascinating that there's uh, some really good uh, evidence showing that earthing can help with AFib or, you know, this uh, uh, heart, heartbeat irregularities. And so why would that be? Fascinating. I don't know if any of you have ever looked at your blood under a, like a live microscope, right? You know, so where I live, I could, I could, I travel to a, a place in Chipshawana uh, where these, uh, the, the, these Amish doctors would, you know, you can prick your finger, put a drop of blood on a, on a, a microscope slide that then they will take that microscope slide, slide it under the microscope. And then they'll, you'll see a projection of what your blood live blood literally looks like. And, um, so it was fascinating. Right. And I've actually, I've seen a lot of pictures then of live blood and what live blood looks like both before grounding and after grounding. And so a very, very cool thing to look at is what is happening with your red blood cells before and after grounding. Red blood cells, basically they look like, you know, like a squishy donut, right? Almost like a raft or like, I like to think of it as a donut without a hole that goes all the way through, but does kind of dip in a little bit on each side to like a little, little dip into, in this raft or in this, this donut. And they float through and the red blood cells are how we really deliver a lot of nutrients to the cell. We deliver oxygen, we deliver nutrients to the cell, we deliver um, negative charge to the cell. And so before grounding, there's a ton of images of people with blood where their red blood cells are like clomped and stuck on top of each other. So picture it as a bunch of donuts that are like literally in a stack, one on top of the other, on top of the other, kind of like suction cupped together. They're really connected. In technical terms, this is called rouleau, and just like the stacking of blood cells together. That 
is not healthy for our red blood cells. We, every red blood cell wants to be like this individual unit that can then travel freely through the bloodstream to do its job. When they're stacked on top of each other, they're dysfunctional. And so why would red blood cells stack on top of each other like that? Red blood cells want to be coded in a negative charge. And this negative charge has a lot of, it's called a couple of different things, but really it's synonymous. This negative charge has been called zeta potential. So these red blood cells want a high zeta potential, high negative charge. These red blood cells want uh, with this negative charge is this exclusion zone water, this gel-like water that forms around them as well. So, so those two things let's talk about as synonymous, like the, there's a couple of different reasons why these red blood cells would have a negative charge around them, but they need a negative charge around them. Picture what happens when two negative ends of a magnet try to meet. So I've got two different magnets. I'm going to face them so that the negative parts are facing each other. And I'm going to try to get the negative parts of the magnet to touch. They won't, no matter how hard you try to push those magnets together, there's always going to be a, a, a repelling repulsion happening right there. They're going to repel away from each other. That is what happens when our red blood cells are at their appropriate negative charge in the surrounding space of the red or a surrounding the coating, like coating the red blood cells with this negative charge. When a red blood cell gets too close to another red blood cell, it, it won't clump together. It'll naturally re repel away from that because negative, these, these negative charges are going to repel. When you start to drain the red blood cell from of electrons, if you're disconnected from a source of electrons, then these red blood cells lose this negative charge. They get a lower zeta potential. And so that means that if it comes into contact with another electron or another red blood cell that has a, a higher amount of electrons, opposites attract. So you get one that's depleted, it's gonna start to clump together with one that has a little bit more. And then you're gonna get another one that clumps. And so you're gonna get this stacking, this low stacking of these red blood cells together that is a, that's dysfunctional. You're predisposing yourself for uh, coagulation issues like blood clots and things like that. We do not want that. And so it's really cool to see after 30 to 45 minutes of grounding, you see a blood, you see a blood sample under this microscope that's got this stacking happening. And then all of a sudden it's perfectly, it, it bounces back and forth. It, you see these red blood cells spaced so beautifully again, uh, they're completely separated. And so that's a beautiful thing. I've seen this happen especially in conjunction with um, being really, really close to non-native electromagnetic fields. So uh, working right next to your Wi-Fi router, having a cell phone on your body at all time, emitting cell phone radiation, uh, even clients who have, didn't even realize it, but their office right next to their home office on the other side of the wall is their smart meter. And that has been doing it. So I have seen non-native electromagnetic fields do that um, and deplete or cause that clumping. I think it's because it's depleting the body of electrons. What else depletes the body of electrons? Being mineral deficient, uh, being under artificial light. So fluorescent lighting is dehydrating a typical office environment where you're disconnected, not touching the earth, you're surrounded by Wi-Fi and you are under fluorescent lighting. That's a, that's a recipe for your blood to these blood cells to want to stack on top of each other to deplete yourself of electrons. So if you're in that kind of environment, never fear, right? You just want to make sure that you're taking breaks and you're going outside and you're grounding. Or if you can't go outside, 
there are ways in which you can pull in um, some beautiful, so, uh, like using an earthing net and use that underneath your desk to start to pull in some electrons through the grounding par, uh, prong of an outlet. So that's that's something I'm gonna touch on in a, in a little bit. But going back to this, the blood flow part of it and hypertension, one of the studies that I really liked took about 150 individuals who were, who were considered pre-hypertensive. So early signs of high blood pressure potential to be medicated. And so these were individuals who all had a, a blood pressure of between their, their systolic number, their top number was above 120. So it was like between 120, actually it was higher than that. It was like between 130 and 139. So it was a getting into the high range of, of having hypertension, like starting to have hypertension. And that lower number was between, I want to say like 80 and 90. So healthy blood pressure is about 120 over 80 or lower than that. Obviously there, if your blood pressure is too low, that is an issue as well. So it's not that the lower is better. There's a healthy range, but the high end of that healthy range is 120 over 80. All of these individuals uh, who enrolled, who were enrolled in this study had an average high blood pressure that was about 134 over about 89. And so at the start of the study, uh, it was just a one-time, this was just a one-time measurement. So I, I can imagine what would happen if individuals did this over an extended period of time. Uh, so individuals were measured for their blood pressure prior to the, um, prior to grounding. And like I said, their number was on average 134 over uh, over 89, 134 over 89. And then as these individuals were asked, they were divided up. One group didn't do anything. They just stayed indoors, did their normal thing. The other group was able to, uh, they were asked to go outside and they were asked to go outside and they were asked to earth and ground themselves for approximately uh, one hour. So they were given a 60 minute amount of time to be barefoot. This was not with a grounding pad. This was actually standing barefoot on the earth. And after one hour, they retested blood pressure, found that those who did not ground kept the same blood pressure. They were still prehypertensive. But those who actually did grounding, their numbers changed. And instead of being 134 over 89, they became 130, they were 122 over 73. That's almost perfect blood pressure right there. So imagine what would happen if these individuals stayed in contact with the earth all the time. Uh, and so why does this happen? Well, we know that being in contact with, with the earth causes blood cells to move more freely, right? These red blood cells don't have to work as hard to get through the blood vessels. So that's a beautiful thing. But we also know then too that earthing has been showing to reduce blood viscosity. So not only are these blood cells moving nicely, but the blood flow is just, a, the blood's a lot thinner, naturally thinner. Um, so instead of like a sludgy blood flow, like ketchup, but not really like ketchup, but right, like a thicker, something that's thicker, after grounding, you get blood that is thinner. So more like red wine, right? More like wine, red wine as opposed to ketchup. You, if you're pushing stuff, if you're, if you're pushing fluid through the body, you want it to be this perfect amount of viscosity. You want it to be the right thinness. Too thin's an issue, right? There's, a, there's this whole issue with we want our blood to be just the perfect viscosity. Um, and grounding seems to normalize things to become just the perfect viscosity. So it brings charge around those red blood cells so that they move better. It changes the viscosity of the blood so that the blood moves, flows better, moves more freely. It's like 
the perfect thing for cardiovascular health right there. You add onto that things that we've talked about at the, in the previous podcast about that nitric oxide. If you're, if you're under, if you're grounding under sunlight and you allow then that nitric oxide, the UVA light to strike your skin and produce nitric oxide for you, that will also then help your blood vessels vasodilate or get bigger so that there's less pressure or less force needed to move the blood throughout the body. So like, that's the perfect scenario for a, for high blood pressure. It's, am I making nitric oxide with the sun? Am I grounding regularly? Really, really can improve blood pressure. And that's not the only study. There's a lot of studies highlighted on Earthing Institute that showed um, beneficial effects from uh, cardio, beneficial cardiovascular effects from grounding, even in just a short amount of time, such as 60 minutes, not extended. Um, other studies highlighted lower cortisol levels. So stress, well, I would say regulation of cortisol. Oftentimes when someone has issues with hormone balance, especially the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis, that's the, where cortisol is made. We hear like, yo, cortisol bad. Cortisol is not bad. It needs to be made in the right daily rhythm. And that daily rhythm is uh, it raises in the morning hours, peaks around 10 a.m. and starts to go down. And then it's low throughout the rest of the day. And then, then melatonin picks up at night. So it's just got to be in balance. Um, and after about eight weeks of grounding overnight, this the group that was studied here showed that they started to completely normalize their cortisol rhythms again with what would be found in nature, right? A healthy circadian cortisol release in the morning and then reduction at night. So we do know also that grounding has the ability to regulate hormone release or reestablish a really healthy diurnal uh, rhythm of certain hormones as well. Um, also helped with a measurement that was called heart rate variability. Heart rate variability is a good way to track how stressed out our body is. We think that heart rate variability is weird, right? It's, a, it's kind of almost counterintuitive because heart rate variability um, states that in between our heartbeats, our, in between our boom, 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 there should be a lot of variation in there. There should, there actually, it actually shouldn't be just a regular heartbeat. It should, so just to, just to keep this simple, let's say it's every second. It's like every, our heartbeats every second, uh, every second, it's like 1.0 one second, one second, one second, that is considered a bad thing for our body. We, our body actually should be responding to all of our environmental stimuli and kind of making micro tweaks in our heartbeat. So instead of a heartbeat every one second, uh, you know, like a machine, it actually should be like a uh, 0.95 seconds, 1.2 seconds, 0.88 seconds, uh, 1.1 seconds. There should be a lot of variability between our heartbeats because that makes our heart rate responsive. It means that our heart is our heartbeat is responding to both our internal environment in our body and then the external signals of our environment. And we're adjusting literally heartbeat by heartbeat to those signals. That's a good thing. If our heart rate variability stops becoming variable, if it starts to be the same thing over and over and over again, that is synonymous with uh, either a higher stressed out state and poor health, more likely actually to have a poor health outcome uh, if that's where we get to. So we want a high heart rate variability and guess what? Grounding has been shown to give us a, a higher heart rate variability. It improves individuals' heart rate variability. Um, so again, being grounded uh, has a lot, a lot of health benefits that uh, it's free, right? It's pretty, it, it's free in one instance. And there, I'm going to talk to you about another instance in which it costs a little bit of money, but I think it could be beneficial. So how do we do this? Like, what's the best way to do it? 
I'm going to first say that don't make perfect be the enemy of good. Literally any time that you can go barefoot outside, whether it's for 10 seconds or 10 hours, you're going to get a benefit. That 10 seconds, the flow of electrons into the body is instantaneous. It's not like it takes, you know, always takes 40 minutes to soak these electrons up. No, you will literally, if your body is electron deficient, you will literally start to soak them up immediately. So anytime you can touch the ground barefoot, whether it's concrete, grass, sand, dirt, you name it. Anytime you can touch the earth barefoot, asphalt, probably not so much, wooden decks, wood will insulate. So if you're on a wooden surface, try to go directly onto the earth uh, and you'll start to conduct the electrons. In an ideal situation, uh, you're in an area that you got some, there's morning dew on the grass. Water helps to conduct those electrons. So you stand with bare feet on that wet dewy grass and you are really starting to soak up those electrons and rebalancing out what you might've lost sleeping as an indoor creature disconnected from the earth. So it's a really good way to start your day off and say, okay, perhaps I'm electron deficient from sleeping inside, not being grounded. Let me soak them up and reestablish some sort of um, electron balance in my body. Number one. So you can, anytime you can stand outside barefoot, that's great. If you hate standing outside barefoot, lay down a natural cloth sheet. So something like a, something that's hundred percent cotton, wet it a little bit that we uh, natural fibers especially if they're a little bit wet will conduct still conduct electrons through so lay down on a, a wet slightly wet cotton sheet or just put your feet down on a wet cotton pillowcase uh, uh and then sit down and read a book out there i mean that's another great way to just conduct right make sure you're in uh, tr anytime you can move your lifestyle outside. So instead of balancing your checkbook, do people do that these days? I do. I have a client who balances her checkbook. So I do know this happens. So if she's listening, uh, instead of balancing the checkbook at the kitchen counter, balance the checkbook outside, grounded. Instead of um, even, I hate to say this, right? But instead of watching Netflix or whatever you're watching, uh, even this YouTube video, hey, if you're listening to this on YouTube or on uh, Anchor or Spotify, take it outside. So maybe you just want to sit around for a little while uh, and chill and listen to this podcast. That's great. I obviously love it. Everyone who's listening to my podcast. I love that. Thank you. But sit outside. Even if it's just for five minutes of this podcast, you're going to get an electron rebalancing happening. That's going to go. I want to add another thing onto that though. We're surrounded by these non-native electromagnetic fields, Wi-Fi, cell phone radiation, uh, power lines. Um, what else? Oh, you know, just the electrical currents that run through our walls, smart meters. We got a lot of non-native electromagnetic fields. Non-native just means they haven't been with us. They're created, right? They're created. Uh, they're not ones that have been made by nature over billions of years. And so we actually know that when we're grounded, when we're barefoot on the earth or when we're grounded, we're less negatively impacted by these non-native electromagnetic fields. So I would, I'm going to argue that you are much healthier if you are holding your cell phone. I don't have my cell phone nearby, right? <laughs> I don't have it by me, but you're much better off, much healthier if you're holding that cell phone using a Wi-Fi or a cellular signal, right? And you're, and you're watching that blue lit screen, although please turn that blue light down. That's a whole nother topic. Um, make that screen as red as you can and as dim as you can, but you're way better off 
using that technology that's emitting radiation and receiving radiation if you are barefoot and grounded and you're outside. Hands down, that technology is gonna be healthier for you than if you're inside disconnected under artificial light. So just something to think about, being able to say that, okay, uh, I can't always get away from my technology. I can't always put it down, but I can be a smarter user of it for sure, by far. So barefoot on the ground or touch any part of your skin, any part of your bare skin will conduct electrons. So bare hands, bare feet, lay naked on the, on the beach. I don't care. Whatever works best for you, do what's best for you, what's easiest and best for your body. I have made a shift recently from on my walks. Um, I started walking with grounding shoes, shoes that are grounded. And I've tried a lot of different types of shoes like this over the years from moccasins to different brands to like grounding straps. And I've actually found that the one that I prefer the most is from a company called Harmony 783. I have zero affiliation with this, um, but this is just for my personal experience. They use a technology that's called conductive carbon. And so it's basically just a carbon sole on the shoe, but it's carbon that conducts the Earth's electrons. So I'll stick a bare foot into these shoes. And as I'm walking, whether I'm doing a walk on sidewalk or whether I'm walking um, in a park on the grass, I'm soaking up Earth's electrons as I go. So uh, there is conductive uh, footwear. So it's carbon conductive technology. And the only brand that I've actually, I've tried that I really know of is called Harmony 783. Um, and so if that's something that you want to do as well, go ahead, give that a try. Any place in which you feel like you can soak up more electrons, I think it's a beneficial thing. Um, I do also have just 100% leather, really worn leather shoes that I got from Etsy, uh, leather sandals that I really like that also will do the trick. Um, but they're, they're so worn and kind of ratty that they're not always the best thing to wear, wear when I'm out, I'm out all the time. Uh, what else are technologies? Well, so there's the company. So Clint Ober's company, who I do believe he is really the vetted expert in this area here. His company that he created was called Ultimate Longevity. And I've purchased their earthing mat. It's their universal earthing mat. And I really like that as well. I'll have it under my desk when I'm at, at the desk doing work. I will bring it up and I'll sleep on top of it and I'll use it for grounding when I'm sleeping. Um, I will, when I'm, so when I'm working with clients and so I do still do some personal training work, right? And so when I'm more on the floor doing floor-based stuff, that earthing mat becomes my mat that I just sit on and I demonstrate my exercises on. And so when I'm inside, if I do not have the chance to actually touch Earth's electrons physically directly, I will pull in those electrons and use them on this. It's another a soft, flexible, conductive carbon mat from Ultimate Longevity. Uh, that though, I really love that company too, because not only does it come with the earthing book, uh, free of charge for every purchase, which I, it's a great book, fascinating, really good stuff in there, but they also come with an outlet tester because in some older homes, it may look like your outlet outlets are grounded, but they're not actually grounded. So technically an outlet that has three prongs, right? That bottom prong is two on the top, one on the bottom, that bottom prong should be grounded, which means it's literally connected to the earth so that stray electricity can not get trapped in your walls and can instead pass directly into the earth to be discharged. Uh, we, had a, we had a flood in our basement, you know, uh, last fall and everything had to get ripped up. And I remember the electricians coming in and being like, uh, all your outlets are grounded except 
this light switch, this light switch right here is not grounded. And he's like, look, see how hot it feels. He's like, that's a fire waiting to happen. And that's because if electrons build up and can't get discharged from the house, that's a fire hazard. And so, so you want to make sure that all, if you're going to plug your grounding mat into an outlet, it is an outlet that's actually grounded and can suck in the electrons in the same way that it can take stray electrons and energy that we don't want flowing through our, our, our wires and take them back out into the earth. So they've got this little uh, tester that's used that can be plugged in and you can just test your outlet to see, yes, it's grounded, no, it's not. And if it's a grounded outlet, you plug in the, uh, the plug into this pad, make sure the pad's uh, connected with the little clip. There's like a little clip that you would connect it. And then you use that mat however you want. You can sit on it, you can stand on it, you can have it underneath your feet. Like I said, you can do exercise on it. That could be your exercise mat. Uh, there is There was a study that I saw on um, earthing.net that was fascinating because it had participants use an, um, an earthing mat as their yoga mat for yoga and showed improvements, health improvements from doing that. So um, I don't think that there's a wrong way to use an earthing mat as long as you are plugging it into a grounded outlet. I'm always the fan of do it naturally whenever possible, but uh, because I question the ability of technology to replicate truly what's happening when we touch our bare skin to the surface of the earth. I, I, I'm a fan that, that I, I really do truly believe that that's the best way to go about these things. But that being said, enough research has been published using alternative grounding practices, such as these grounding mats, showing a benefit that I am become, I've become comfortable with at least this type of technology found at Ultimate Longevity, where they've actually done a lot of the research or they've just are really strong in terms of staying up on the research um, that their products will will actually do what they say that they're going to do, which is bring the beneficial electrons in so that we can soak them up through this grounding mat. Okay, uh, that might be all I have to say about grounding or earthing. Um, if anyone has any questions on this, please let me know. But again, this is just another 2% stack. If you just tell yourself, I'm going to keep my shoes off, and anytime I have a chance, I'm going to touch the ground barefoot, that's an instantaneous moment every single time that your body has, if it's deficient in electrons, to soak those electrons into your body. The end result could be lower inflammation. It could be better blood flow. It could be um, a better sleep quality. It could, it, could be, it could affect a whole host of things. And earthing.net has a whole ton of studies in case you're interested. But just know, we are meant to be connected to the earth at all times. And it's only been within the past 100, 150 years that we've really disconnected ourselves. And it's to the detriment of our health. So throw a 2% in there. Stand barefoot whenever you can. If you're dealing with a challenge, an inflammatory health condition, stand barefoot more, sit barefoot more, be grounded using that grounded mat, see if it makes a difference. Uh, something that's pretty fundamental, I think, to health and only enhances then other strategies that I recommend, such as circadian rhythm optimization and, and that sort of a thing uh, to, to affect the overall foundation of our health, uh, optimization of our health. So. I hope that you learned something today that you want to pick up and try. Thanks for listening. And uh, I'll talk to you next time. So have a great day. Bye. I hope this podcast left you today with one thing that you can do to make your health 2% better. My name is Carrie Bennett. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please like it and share it with anyone else you think would benefit from this information. Until next time, have a great day.